evening, I'm Alfred Hitchcock, and welcome to a night of terror. <laughs> this is the story of two brothers who re-examined some classics, but their rivalry turned deadly. Here is where we set the scene, Southern California, the land of sunshine and air, but that air choked <laughs> with <laughs> you know what? It was a valiant effort. Indeed, it was. You, d I, I haven't watched uh, Alfred Hitchcock presents since 1955. So. <laughs> I just know go really deep and really jowly. That's all I know what to do. He's not that. He's, he's not that jowly. Oh, yes, you gave yes, it like a rubbery, like Nixon quality. <laughs> <laughs> it's because he was. He was 90% blubber <laughs> and 10% ego. Uh, not an eighty-nine percent blubber, one percent brilliant filmmaker. <laughs> Excuse me. What about the eight percent sexual predator? Uh, this is also true. <laughs> it was a different time. We're all trying to. Oh learn. yeah, very different time. Hey, how's Harvey? How is Harvey Weinstein doing? <laughs> exactly. Uh, we, uh, it's not my fault. I'm a product of the era. <laughs> uh, and again, thanks to a thanks to a, a patriarchy and a. And a uh, structure where I, I have control over an entire industry. <laughs> I can continue to live that behavior, but please, the, it's the thought that counts, and the thoughts, and my thoughts do want me to be better <laughs> and not uh, pleasure myself in front of unsuspecting women. I mean, it's their fault for wanting those jobs so badly. Exactly. If they weren't so desperate for those acting gigs, like, he couldn't be He's... able to help himself, you know? I know. <sighs> Why can't they just stay in the house or at their nurse's station or something like that, you know? Just stay at their station in life, and this wouldn't happen. I know, and make yourself more believable. Damn, come on. Mm -hmm. Again, welcome to the Aspiring Snobs <laughs> podcast, where you'll hear that great perspective from white males <laughs> in the United States. Just laced with so much irony. Mm, you could just you could yeah. cut it up and snort it like fine cocaine. Irony? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, uh, <laughs> all right, moving on. This week, we watched Psycho. We gotta do that again. Come on, let's give this the proper intonation that it deserves. This is Psycho. Yes. One of the all-time greats and a personal favorite of mine. Mm -hmm. This movie's a 10 out of 10, unlike last week's movie, which I rated a 9.5 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> this gets my worst review. 11 thumbs up. <laughs> In all earnestness, this, this is one of my all-time favorite movies. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was really itching which to so get weird, to this one Which is so weird, because I didn't figure you were such a Gus Van Sant fan. Good. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> We've made a horrible mistake. Oh no! I watched the nineteen or nineteen ninety eight version. Oh, you go yeah. old. <laughs> and comedy achieved. In any event, I am a big, big Gus Van Sant fan, but I'm also a big Alfred Hitchcock fan. Mm -hmm. And I think this is also his crowning achievement. Even though it it kind of wasn't intended to be that way, this was a this was a quick quick and dirty little production that he put on. Mm -hmm. In between huge Hollywood A-list productions like North by Northwest and The Birds, yeah, this is a passion project, which means he forwent his salary and decided to get a percentage of the profits. Yep, and uh, luckily it paid off for him. It was a huge success. Mm -hmm. You only really hear about that when it actually pays off, like George Lucas. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like how many movies out maybe... there were like really passion projects and then really did flop? <laughs> yeah. Maybe there was a, a few cases with Francis Ford Coppola in the early 80s, but again, let's not dwell on that. <laughs> again, he told stories from the heart, and this was one from the heart that uh, did not work on the wallet. <laughs> but yes, this is the first time I had seen this movie. Yes, and what did you think? Please, John, share with us what you thought of Psycho. This is so unfair. Cause what do you mean? I thought, for certain, I had come up with my perfect list of 30 best movies I had ever seen, and now this one comes in and throws the whole list out of whack. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's not fair. 
This movie's amazing. <laughs> it's brilliant, isn't it? It's so good. Are you kicking yourself now that you hadn't seen it sooner? Exactly. I mean, but that's what we do this podcast for. And this is by far, without with the exception of Metropolis, this is the best movie I've. Well, this is the best movie that we've talked about for the podcast that I'd seen for the first time. Absolutely, it's it's an amazing movie. Not a perfect movie, though. No, I mean, rarely you ever do get that. Yeah, I think there's really only one kind of, let's say, fly in the ointment. But we'll, well get to okay. that eventually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but John, what did what why did why did you immediately respond to this? I'm actually surprised by this. I because usually the if if you're a new listener, usually how these <laughs> goes is that one of us is really passionate about a movie, and the other one goes like, "Eh, it was okay." Yeah, exactly. But no, yeah, I think the, this one we're both on the same page. This is an absolutely amazing classic and definitely deserves to be in the top 10 whatever yeah <laughs> well why well why what did you immediately respond to because i before i start gushing <laughs> i want to hear your reaction first um the thing that stuck out to me the most is probably the score oh yeah it's absolutely like it really sets the mood because again you have they everyone kind of knows that famous you know scratching for when the shower scene happens mm-hmm. but it has like just kind of a great pulse-pounding uh, strings throughout the rest of it that just kind of really set the tone. And again, I, I think the reason why this movie is so effective is, at its heart, it's a noir story. Or at least that's what you think it is for the first half. Yeah. This is a crime thriller. And then the crime takes a turn into a much darker territory. Yeah, it's a great blend of genres, uh, which really shocked audiences in 1960. You've got the star, uh, Janet Lee, mm-hmm. who you follow throughout the first half of the movie, thinking, oh, this is a, this is a noirish crime thriller. And then it completely turns on its head, and then it becomes the first slasher movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> and unlike Suspiria, which we watched last week, the twists and turns really do keep you guessing. Mm-hmm. It never for a second like falls flat or gets less interesting as you're watching it. The more things unfold, the more invested you get. No, and I probably should have known that you would have loved the the Bernard Herrmann score, because mm-hmm. you are a, class, a classical music aficionado. Oh well, I mean, I don't like to brag, but <laughs> I did notice I did notice that Norman Bates had uh, Beethoven's Third Symphony on his record on his record player. <laughs> Thank you, HD the Aurora the Aurora Symphony. Yeah, <laughs> but. Yeah, I mean, it, it hits you immediately, that score, with the one of the best title sequences ever, too. Mm-hmm. Once again, classic Saul Bass. Yep. And um, just just so that listeners get to know me a little better, I don't like title sequences because I like to get straight into the story and not be not be reminded that I'm watching a movie. But here, it sets, it sets the tone immediately. Mm-hmm. And it kind of sets itself apart from every other Hitchcock movie I've seen. How do you mean? Um, which have which have included uh, Rear Window, The Birds, uh, Vertigo, uh, a, a lot of color films, and also kind of have this tongue in cheek quality to them. Mm. Like they're kind of they're also it, they're thrillers and they're they have their dark moments, but they're also kind of you know pleasant Hollywood fare. Mm-hmm. And this movie is not nice. <laughs> no, it is very unsentimental. Yeah, I mean and when it's... you first meet Norman Bates, he does kind of come off as a very nice guy. Like, all credit mm-hmm. to Anthony Perkins. He was born to play this role. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was actually shocked to hear that he was kind of typecast as a, as a very innocent-seeming young man, but mm-hmm. there's something a little off about him. Exactly. And sadly, I think it kind of, him being in this iconic role kind of ruined the rest of his career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as tried as he might to stay away from this role, he did end up... Uh, uh, reprising his role as Norman Bates, I think, for, like, Psycho 4 or something like that. Uh, it was going to be Psycho 4, and for, sadly he passed away. Oh, damn. They damn. It. Yes. But he did give the world Psycho 3, and for that we're grateful. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, yeah, before we even get to... We don't get to Norman Bates until about 40 minutes into the movie. Mm-hmm. Instead, we're to uh, follow Marion Crane, mm-hmm. and she basically just steals 40 grand. There's no real, like, we do get a little sense of who she is in the opening scene. She's post-coital with her lover. Yep. Well, this is where we also get, this is also a thematically rich movie, which I know you and I also love. Yes. (laughs) And you get that kind of in the opening shot when the camera pans across and goes into her hotel room. Mm -hmm. And immediately this is a movie about voyeurism and privacy and a woman's place in, in in that kind of milieu. Well, again, it just kind of gives you a sense of who that character is without giving you any backstory. 
Oh, that too, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know these characters immediately. Exactly. I mean, and just, the, like, the dialogue, it's, there's no exposition whatsoever. We don't even know anything about Sam until, like, again, the second half when we see, like, where he actually works, which is a hardware store. Yeah. Not that it even matters. <laughs> I don't think he even learned his name or his mm-hmm. full name. Actually, she does call him Sam. What am I saying? Yeah, of course. And, again, when she when she signs her name in the ledger, you know, she says Samuels, you know, the yeah. other hint to who she, you know. Whatever, not important. <laughs> Cut that. <laughs> well, it is important. No, it is. It is important because she starts to define her relationship by this man, mm-hmm. and really, that's what this movie's playing with: is a women's relationship and this patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, because not only not only what shocked me, I was going to say in this opening scene, I was surprised rewatching it how naturalistic it is. Because there's a little more histrionics, a little more sixties, late fifties and sixties acting going on later. Very good diction. Yes, it's good diction and uh, like bug eyes and <laughs> throwing your hands up in a, in a stagey way. Mm-hmm. Um, but here it's very, they're very quiet. It's very natural, uh, which again is something you also didn't expect from Alfred Hitchcock, who would do that this kind of tongue in cheek and would play to all those expectations of a of a staged A list production. Mm-hmm. But. What we're really kind of like getting, the main idea that we're getting at here is that Marion will essentially sacrifice herself for her man. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in a bit of a financial difficulties because he's paying alimony to his ex-wife. I think he mentions that his hardware store isn't, uh, maybe he's got like a, other debts or something like that. And that really propels her to steal money from somebody who's propositioning her mm-hmm. with $40,000 cash. I mean, it's, abs- it's definitely implied that it's like stealing this money is really a victimless crime. This guy exactly. has more than enough, and he's exactly. also a bit of a sleaze. So yeah, well, it maintains your sympathy for uh, Marion Crane. Mm-hmm. Is what it does, and also again plays with this idea that she's kind of she's in a place where again just women don't have the agency in the society. Well, no, and you're right. It, the movie does want you to have a little bit of sympathy for her, but I think it's also meant to demonstrate she has a bit of an edge. That too. Yeah. I mean, she's a single woman sleeping around. Mm-hmm. There's I mean, a, a I didn't I didn't really notice this until it was actually pointed out to me. But you'll notice in the first scene, you know, when you see her getting dressed, she's wearing a white bra, yeah. and then before the iconic shower scene, she's wearing a black bra. Yeah, and when also, she steals the money, or when she's contemplating stealing the money, now she's all clad in black. So, mm-hmm. and she puts the money in her white purse later yes. on. Her purse is black. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did we mention there's good use of color in this movie, regardless of the fact it's a black movie? <laughs> or lack movie. thereof, bro, because this was a black and white movie, which mm-hmm. for, in 1960 was kind of coming out of, out of vogue at this point. Mm-hmm. But Hitchcock wanted to shoot this movie for cheap, so he shot it with his uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents TV crew mm-hmm. and shot it for black and white, which was also much cheaper. Yeah. And it's funny, it never shows, because this movie is meticulously well made, and what I love about it is the camera's always moving. And it never feels cheap. It never feels, like, very static. The camera's always moving. There's tons of nice little insert shots and cutaways. And, like, this movie was made for under a million dollars, but it never, like, feels like it. No, that's... I think that's just a credit to Alfred Hitchcock as a director, Mm -hmm. kind of manipulating where the camera goes. And maybe just... I mean, he'd been directing for over two decades at this point, so he knows how to make make a production go and how exactly to stage a scene mm-hmm. because at the time of the 50s you see uh basically you worked your way up through theater and then you hit hollywood and so everything is kind of staged in a static wide shot just like mm-hmm. you would it would be on a stage mm-hmm. um him and a few other directors kind of coming out of this era um instead were working more from the like a camera lens perspective instead of an <laughs> audience perspective like instead mm-hmm. of seeing it from the stage why don't we make it more interesting and see it from the the camera's lens mm-hmm and so that's why you see so much movement, and you see, um, again, brilliant use of close-ups, because she, she absconds with this money. So there's always this implication that she's going to get caught, and this is when you start to see close-ups and people looking right down the barrel of the lens. Mm-hmm. It's got that great uh, Silence of the Lambs quality, where they're you know constantly making eye contact with you. Yeah. As <laughs> the great Werner Herzog put, it's like staring death in the face when you stare at a camera. <laughs> I don't know why I made him Spanish there, but you yeah. get the idea. <laughs> no, I haven't the faintest idea. As I said, I last saw your sister when she left this office on Friday. She said she didn't feel well and wanted to leave early. I said she could. That was the last I saw. Oh, wait a minute. I did see her sometime later driving. Uh, I think you'd better come over here to my office. Quick. Carolyn, 
Get Mr. Cassidy for me. After all, Cassidy, I told you, all that cash. I'm not taking the responsibility. Oh, for heaven's sake. Girl works for you for ten years, you trust her. All right, yes, you better come over. Well, I ain't about to kiss off $40,000. I'll get it back, and if any of it's missing, I'll replace it with her fine, soft flesh. I'll track her, never you doubt it. Oh, hold on, Cassidy. I still can't believe... It must be some kind of a mystery. I, I can't... You check with the bank, no? They never laid eyes on her, no? You still trusting? Hot creeper, she sat there while I dumped it out. Hardly even looked at it. Planning. And, and even flirting with me. I'm glad you mentioned that, John, because uh, let's, let's a little bit more into me. <laughs> <laughs> I watched this in a, in a high school media literacy class, and we watched uh, Psycho and Silence and the Lambs back-to-back. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you can you start to see all the influence that this movie had as well. And just well, I mean, there's a lot of overlap that. between those two movies, just thematically. Yeah, not and not just the fact that they are, you know, thrillers about serial killers. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of serial killers, <laughs> let's get to Norman Bates. I mean, she 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 arrives at this uh, innocuous motel. Mm-hmm. She's got to. She's got to do the. Uh, she can't. She's got to stay off the freeways to avoid police attention. Mm-hmm. The, by the way, that policeman is like good and terrible at his job. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? He's he's following her, but making it so strangely obvious and not really confronting her. <laughs> like if you're going to arrest her for a crime, just arrest her already. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, he had nothing on her at that point. She just acted suspicious. Okay. Yeah, and granted, this is out in the the middle of California, surrounded by dirt farmers. You know, <laughs> what else does he have to do? It's an excellent point. Yeah, no, there's never been any crime in Southern California. Come on. Yeah, absolutely. No, there was no Not Mexicans to country. arrest yet. Yeah, they haven't invented meth yet. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, this is when we were introduced to Norman Bates, who's actually the kindest, sweetest man that she's met so far. Mm-hmm. And least suspicious. Like yeah. even the car salesman, she trades in her car to kind of keep the police off her tail. And even he's, like, kind of suspicious of her and kind of, like, a little shaky. I mean, his first lines to her is, you know, like, I don't want any trouble. That's what I say every morning. <laughs> <laughs> and then almost immediately, yes, there is real trouble going on. <laughs> Can I trade you my car? Yes, I will take a $700 hit on it as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but but Norman's you... unsus- unsuspecting and completely naive and innocent. Mm-hmm. Just a good homeboy just trying to take care of his mother. But it turns out the mother is very demanding. <laughs> well, there are a lot of little touches that demonstrate Norman's na- supposed naivete, mm-hmm. including the fact that he's eating candy. I mean, it, little choices like shoving his hand into his pockets when his mother uh, verbally abuses him. As we find out, um, his mother appears is uh, very domineering. Exactly. Well, okay, so what's great about the scene where he's introduced is... He seems so sweet by the beginning of it, and then by the end, it starts to show his edges. Because it's obvious from the conversation that he has a very uh, tense relationship with his mother. And then after the conversation ends, and she, you know, absconds to her room, he takes the picture down, and you see there's a hole in the wall. So yeah, obviously, there's there's a creepy element to him that was yeah. not yet revealed. Yeah, and just another aspect in which... Um, Men have a voyeuristic and overpowering relationship to women, <laughs> even ones as as uh, innocent and sweet as Norman Bates. Mm-hmm. Well, but yeah, I mean, you're right about that. He also shows a uh, like little flashes of anger. That's and they true. Have, they have a conversation. They sit down in their parlor, which is filled with stuffed birds. You know, again, very very normal. <laughs> a perfectly normal hobby, taxidermy. Yeah. And he talks about how he likes to do birds because they seem so still in life anyway. Yeah. <laughs> So, yes, a lot of obvious themes we're touching on. Mm-hmm. There's a great cutaway where, again, it literally looks like an owl is swooping down on them. <laughs> Very predatory. Yes. But another thing, it, it ultimately convinces, I think this is something that a lot of people miss, because they're, they're anticipating the twist that's about to happen, mm-hmm. is that Norman explains his motivation for taking care of his mother, even though she's, she's so domineering and ungrateful for that care. Mm-hmm. 
and ultimately, and he talks about having these personal little traps that we're stuck in, and we have to make the best of it. Exactly, and she tries to, you know, suggest some alternatives, like you could put her in a home, you could put her in, what, an institution? Oh, yeah. yes, you're just like everyone else, the way you tuck <laughs> your lips. <laughs> Like, he, yeah, see, he clearly doesn't, like, he, clearly she's not the first one to suggest this. Yeah. Well, you see that sinister, it's great, it's a brilliant scene because you see that sinister side of him, mm -hmm. but then it also kind of turns it around on Marion, and she says, like, you know what, I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to abscond with 40 grand. <laughs> I'm not just going to run off with Sam. Like, I am going to go back to Phoenix and face my situation here. Yeah. You understand, I don't hate her. I hate what she's become. I hate the illness. Wouldn't it be better if you put her someplace? You mean an institution? A madhouse? People always call a madhouse someplace, don't they? Put her in someplace. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it to sound uncaring. What do you know about caring? Have you ever seen the inside of one of those places? The laughing and the tears. And the cruel eyes studying you. My mother there. But she's harmless. She's as harmless as one of those stuffed birds. I am sorry. I, I only felt... It seems she's hurting you. I meant well. People always mean well. They cluck their thick tongues and shake their heads and suggest oh so very delicately. Of course, I've suggested it myself. But I hate to even think about it. She needs me. It's not as if she were a, a maniac, a raving thing. She just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes. And I think that's something else that's missed because, yeah, she's kind of either, either manipulated or I guess this is where we get a little thematic confusion because she, she kind of does her own thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if she's punished for that or for being, you know, uh, oh, I mentioned the punishment. My bad. <laughs> um, I think they know, Greg. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she gets murdered in the shower. Yes. that's This is a huge twist. Again, in 1960, this just completely blew audiences' minds. <laughs> like, I thought we were going to see a, a noir film, and suddenly it becomes the first slasher film. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And yeah, it's very powerful, you know, like the string music up until this point has been very like domineering, like mm, 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 very Jaws-like, and then yeah. all of a sudden becomes <laughs> and very scratchy and just, oh, so dissonant. Yeah, I know, yeah, if you thought the music was effective before, mm -hmm. <laughs> you're right about the kind of distortion on it. Again, like a lot of just brilliant choices in the amount of cuts that's going on, because in spite of how you said the camera's moving, like it is still a lot of long takes and um, a lot of fluid camera movements. Mm -hmm. And now suddenly there are like 70 cuts in a minute. <laughs> exactly. Which again, was not easy for them to do. No. And not I think know, I... very indicative, like of the time you didn't do quick takes, like quick cuts. You didn't do quick takes like that. No. Because physically you couldn't. I mean, it's a giant <laughs> machine that you had to feed the film through. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that's just a demonstration of Hitchcock's genius is that he was willing to go that, mm -hmm. go that route. And take that and go that extra mile, whereas other, whereas the studios just wanted to crank out product as quickly as they could.
who killed her, Greg? It was well, it, the mother. Yes. <laughs> I think that's something else because it's so um, you only see the silhouette of her. So I think if you, if you just know this movie from the shower scene, you assume that Norman Bates is the titular psycho mm-hmm. that kills her. But you see, it's it's but you could see kind of from the outline that it is a it is a feminine figure, mm-hmm. and you assume that it's the mother. And of course, the following scene, Norman finds her and goes, "Mother, mother, what have you done? Blood, <laughs> blood." <laughs> Okay, yeah, this is where, you know, the naturalism of maybe the first half doesn't quite. <laughs> this is what I will say, again, that we both, we're both gushing about this movie. Mm-hmm. It's not perfect. It does have some cheesy elements, such as when Marion's driving, she hears voiceover of what she suspects is going on about her disappearance. Well, see, I think that's what makes it work. I think that's to its credit, is the fact that it can go into this kind of campy territory, but you're still kind of accepting it. Like, it doesn't pull you out. Like, you're just so engrossed that even when it does get, like, campy and stuff like that, it, you, you still are invested. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's probably the, the character of Marion, mm-hmm. as, well as, as well as Norman Bates, Anthony mm-hmm. Perkins as Norman Bates. Mm-hmm. And, I, yeah, right, I mean, you, know, you kind of look past, and it, this movie still stands the test of time in spite of, of what audiences expect as entertainment in 1960 is different from what audiences expect uh, in 2017 to be entertainment. Mm-hmm. Well, this is this actually demonstrates. Speaking of the likability of um, Nor- of Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates, mm-hmm. <laughs> he immediately starts to cover up for his mother, mm-hmm. and it just shows the likability because he's literally getting away with murder here. But you're still like motivated and invested in seeing him <laughs> get away with this crime. Exactly, because I mean, again, like he's trying to protect his mother. It comes from a genuine place. We kind of understand what he's doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it kind of. I think it also kind of flips it back on the audience. <laughs> like, we just relished, we literally just relished in the murder of this woman who we've invested in. Mm-hmm. And it, that goes into the theme of voyeurism, too. As movie as moviegoers, we are literally voyeurs into this world. Mm-hmm. And we are just as culpable as the, this, the sick, twisted men that are in Psycho. <laughs> so, yeah, again, it's just a brilliant, a brilliant subversion of expectations and turns it around on, on us, the moviegoers. Yeah. So... Again, I don't know if we conveyed properly how brilliant this movie is, but... <laughs> and, of course, this is why people never get away with murder, because eventually people come knocking. Yeah. I, I, um, I gotta say, this is, uh, if, this is a nearly perfect movie, mm-hmm. but if we are gonna get the demerits, this little... It's following uh, Norman's cover-up of the murder, where I think it, we, I, it start to lose the kind of naturalistic quality because we're introduced to Lila who is Marion Crane's sister mm-hmm. and she contacts Sam she's mm-hmm. like we haven't seen her where has she gone have you seen her is she here but he doesn't really know where she's gone either they just know mm-hmm. that she's run off with this money so obviously as implied she doesn't want to be found yeah but they're still like worried there's still the possibility that they're her still safety worried is yeah. In jeopardy. yeah but in this moment it's the, the movie becomes a little more mechanical mm-hmm. and you're kind of less invested in what's going on in Marion or, or or Norman Bates's life or in Detective Arbogast. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think of uh, Private Investigator Arbogast? I mean, I do kind of like the contrast it kind of sets up. He's, you know, a PI, so he has that very kind of dragnet quality. Like, when he's interviewing Norman Bates, the tone of it is obviously much different than the first conversation we've had with Norman. Yeah. Where, you know, like, now, now the shoe's on the other foot. We have this detective who's suspicious of Norman... And he's kind of coming in all jolly. He's like, ah, I just have a few questions for you. Maybe you can help me out. And then as he starts needling him, it's like, well, your story's changing. What's yeah. going on here? And, well, yeah, in that, in that scene, that we should probably explain Arbogast, like, pins, <laughs> pins Norman Bates immediately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Catches him in all these lies. And it's a brilliant scene because of how Anthony Perkins plays it, the such natural stammering. Mm-hmm. But actually, I appreciated the how different uh, the guy who plays Arbogast is. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I can't remember his name, but uh, I wouldn't call it a dragnet. I would call it like an arrogance. Mm-hmm. And it seems so, it's actually so stunning to see this childlike character in Norma Bates go against somebody who's so, who's so uh, kind of above his level <laughs> <laughs> and puts and immediately puts Norma Bates in his place. Mm-hmm. In addition I mean, to that, this, this scene could just be like a two shot or, you know, play out with musical stings or something like that. But there's this brilliant shot they cut to a, a low angle shot of um, Norman like looking over the ledger, mm-hmm. 
which will prove that, yes, Mar- Marion Crane did check into the hotel when he was lying earlier. Mm-hmm. And he kind of, like, cranes his head over. He's chewing on his candy or something like that. And um, not only is it high angle, so it looks like he's powerful, but also it's, like, exposing his neck a little bit. So mm-hmm. it's it's almost as if he's vulnerable, too. Well, and then so, yeah, once... A lot going one, on in one shot. Yeah, and then once the ledger... Once the ledger's been seen, and we kind of move away from that, the camera moves back up again. And so we get kind of more, we get returned to kind of a low angle shot. And like, again, it's just all these little meticulous touches that, you know, you're obviously not cognizant of until you realize it sets the scene. We're not talking about the ledger anymore, so why would we have that low angle? Mm -hmm. Uh, Did anyone meet her here? No. Did she arrive with anyone? No. Uh Did she make any phone calls or? No. Locally? Did you spend the night with her? No. Well, then, how would you know that she didn't make any phone calls? Oh, well, she was very tired, and, uh, see, I, now I'm starting to, to, um, remember it. I'm making a mental picture of it in my mind. You know, if you make a mental picturization of something... That's right, that's right. Take your time. Um, she was, she was sitting back there. No, no, she was standing back there with a sandwich in her hand. And she said uh, she had to go to sleep early because she had a, a long dr- drive uh, ahead of her. Mm-hmm. Back where? Back uh, where she came from. No, you said before that she was uh, sitting back. Oh, uh, standing. Yeah, back yes, there. but back in my uh, in my parlor there, uh, she was very hungry, and I made her a sandwich. And then she said uh, that she was tired, and she uh, um, had to go right, right to bed. Oh, I see. Uh, how did she pay you? Cash, check. Cash. Cash. Huh? And uh, after she left, she uh, didn't come back. Hmm. Well, why should she? <laughs> and speaking of uh, setting setting little setting little things up, mm-hmm. the arrogant Arbogast says, "Like, oh well, I can go up to the Bates estate." <laughs> yeah, why don't I go question your mother? It turns out your mother talked to her. Yeah, that's, she's probably up there right now. I'll just waddle on up there. You know, I'm the, I'm the best detective in the world. I've got this. <laughs> I've got this case pegged. <laughs> well, thank goodness he calls them first. He calls Lily and Sam. Yeah, Lila and <laughs> Actually, Sam. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. that. They might have that might have been a reshoot or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, how the hell would they know to go to the Bates Motel? Uh, crap. <laughs> well, it just goes to show, murder doesn't pay because you can't just have people keep disappearing on you. <laughs> nope. <laughs> People keep knocking. Yes. Although, let's be fair, Arbogast probably deserved it. Oh, don't be mean. <laughs> no, he was good at his job. What am I saying? <laughs> he only seemed like a sexist. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> we didn't get any physical proof of it. Mm-hmm. He just seemed like the type who would say, like, uh, quiet, toots, grown men are talking. Yeah. And again, another brilliant setup. He w- walks up to the house, no music or anything, very quiet scene. And you just need that one string deep. Yes, <laughs> Bates goes out, shoves a knife in his face. He <laughs> he falls down the stairs. I was wondering what you thought of this effect. I think it. Okay, so this one took me out a little bit. You the did? way okay. it's done is he falls backwards down the stairs, but the way he decided to film it is like with this like rear tra- projection. Yeah, this tra- like rear projection, and it's like this Spielbergian zoom, and it just it looks really <laughs> weird. <laughs> Yeah, um, it it doesn't kind of hold up in the HD era, let's say. Yeah, exactly. I think I think it probably in a on a regular transfer, like an or low more low resolution, like it's actually a little surreal. There is something so off putting about the little dolly zoom, mm-hmm. is what that move's called. Yeah, um, Hitchcock employed it in. Um, I don't Ver- think he was uh, the first vertigo. person to do it, but he yeah he employed it in Vertigo and and Spielberg has used it a lot since. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it's important because we need to keep the camera on Arbogast because we're not supposed to see Mrs. Bates. Yeah, it's very yeah, it's very quick. I mean, t- like literally, th- this that's the first sign I see. Like, oh, it is Mrs. Bates because you see somebody in a dress p- mm-hmm. finally plunge, do the final plunges into <laughs> into our poor PI. Yeah, it's a bird's eye view, so at least we get to see more than just a silhouette. But mm-hmm. we d- it's we're not supposed to see her face yet. Yes. Although the camera does look up her skirt, technically. Maybe that's another little little cheeky choice that um, Mr. Hitchcock made. Greg, this movie's filthy, okay? This is the first American <laughs> film to show a toilet flushing. <laughs> oh, yeah, we didn't mention that little piece of trivia. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently that was the writer's idea. Um, it was prohibited from... Uh, the, the 
whatever the version of the MPAA was at the time, mm-hmm. uh, prohibited the use of a toilet because it was it was unsanitary and, and unbecoming of family entertainment. So, <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. So the screenwriter, Joseph Stefano, said, like, I have to get a toilet in here. How do I, how do I get it into the story? And he found a way, uh, Marion Crane discards evidence of her stealing 40 grand. She's like, yes. oh, I can't. She tears up a note and like, oh, I can't throw it in the trash can, though. <laughs> Detectives might find it. Let me discard it in the toilet, but they'll never find it. Yes. And that way, the censors could never cut it out of the movie because it's required to keep the plot moving along. Is it? Okay, yes. what, is she, what is she writing on that note? She's figuring out how much money she has left. Okay, I had 40000 and then I spent 700 on the new car. Oh, crap. I need to do math. <laughs> really? Listen, listen, her emotional woman brain couldn't <laughs> handle that level of mental math, okay? I understand. John, their brains aren't developed. I mean, this is why women can't be good programmers. And we can't trust them with money. They'll run off with it immediately. <laughs> okay, so maybe some attitudes from the, from the era <laughs> kind of creep into uh, Psycho a little bit. Mm-hmm. Another little piece of trivia, apparently Alfred Hitchcock on set referred to uh, Anthony Perkins as Master Bates. Wah, wah. <laughs> yes. This is our mature, sophisticated director. <laughs> he also referred to the actor of Sam as, as uh, the stiff. So, <laughs> Yeah. Which I, I don't understand. I thought it was a fine performance, but... Eh, he's definitely the most uh, 50s-esque actor, I would say. <laughs> this is true. Perfect, perfect diction and <laughs> stock still. Yep, stock still. Like, hey, what game are you playing here, Mister Bates? What's going yeah. on? Not a not a hair out of place, even mm-hmm. when he and Marion Crane are post coital in bed. <laughs> Although that body, though, mm. <laughs> he's not a stiff. He's a rock. Mm. <laughs> good, good one. It. Speaking of Sam Loomis. Mm-hmm. So now the PI is uh, gone. Just he, missing. Yeah, he and. He and uh, Vivian Lee's character, Lila, are suspicious. They haven't heard from Mr. Robert Gast. Mm-hmm. So let's check the last place he was, the Bates Motel. Exactly. And they try to get the deputy sheriff involved, but he's kind of like uh, nonchalant about it. It's like, oh, Norman Bates, he just keeps to himself. And they ask, well, what about the mother? It's like, mm-hmm. the mother's been dead for 10 years. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Twist. But we know the mother's alive. We've heard her speaking. We've Absolutely. seen the mother. What could possibly be going on? Yeah, so they go up, investigate. Mm-hmm. They go up and investigate. Well, and this is also... It does get a little repetitive, I would say. Because yeah, after Marion bites it... Yeah, this is the second time we kind of like, yeah, we get, on this path of... Again, now we just get more people like coming to the Bates Motel trying to figure out what happened. But at least there's a different flavor to it. And the flavor this time is the fact that now they're kind of in disguise. Yeah. Not pre- like pretending like they're not here to investigate what happened to Marion. Yeah. Well, also motivated by a, a family connection. If 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 there's some way maybe you can improve it, you can you you would characterize Lila a little bit more mm-hmm. and give her like just that extra bit of motivation to like I I desperately need to find out what happened to my sister. Yeah, exactly. Because we don't see her for the first half. It's all about yeah. Marion. Like maybe they have a phone call together, but yeah, she yeah, gets no a phone call like a backstory of when like you know. I got lost and she found me, so now I I want to find her. Mm-hmm. Like I uh, maybe when she was younger, <laughs> not when she was I don't know twenty seven or something like that. Got lost, but mm-hmm. so they investigate, and uh, Sam tries to keep Norman at bay. Yeah, tries to engage him in conversation, but the conversation gets very direct very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a bit of a stiff. He doesn't you know doesn't have <laughs> those acting chops. <laughs> Sam's not very good at this because he no. immediately starts antagonizing Norman. Yeah. I mean, and to be fair, I mean, you suspect two people are dead. Yeah, I guess <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if you'll be able to keep your cool in that situation. That is very true. And uh, Lila goes up to the house. She she ventures into the basement. Mm-hmm. She starts investigating, and she finds Mrs. Bates. Or does she? <laughs> She's at the, John. It's the back of a woman's head. It's in a swivel chair. Obviously, it's a woman, right? Yeah. So she taps on the shoulder, and what turns around? It's a corpse. Ah. Oh. <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. No, not even a corpse at this point, bro. A, a skeleton. Yeah, rubbery leather, like just teeth and eye sockets. Yeah, <laughs> a, a perfect kind of disquieting image, especially mm-hmm. with the single light bulb in the basement. It's, mm-hmm. it's got again, it's just perfect. <laughs> and then we get the big reveal. She appears behind him, but it's Normand dressed as his mother. 
which I wish it, it spent a little more time on that. It's so quick. <laughs> well, John, they do spend a little more time on it, but we'll get, oh, we'll I get guess, to that yes. later. <laughs> Again, like <laughs> the worst part of this movie, which we'll get to. Yeah. Um, so you wanted to, you wanted them to, in this moment, to register the shock that this is Norman kind of possessed by the spirit, the, the vengeful murderous spirit of his mother. Exactly. Like, I thought maybe if they, like, did the silhouette one more time, like, we see him from the back, from the back, like, in the wig, mm-hmm. thinking, like, how could there be two of them or something like that? But instead, yeah. it's just, you know, pops through the door, hey, it's, it's yeah, me! Yeah. And I do love it's, the Again, very quick, you see face. him in the door, Yeah, and again, another, like, brilliant disquieting shot that's stuck in my head for the last 15-plus uh, years. <laughs> but yeah, he charges immediately, and that's when Sam comes in and saves the day. So, yeah, th- maybe there's a few other ways that you could kind of register that shock a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're already in a scary basement, and we spend, like, no time there. Yeah, that's true. It would have been nice. We haven't set up that location. Like, yeah, pro- we've, we've seen the house, and the house is very well kept. It's very beautiful. It would be nice if we kind of, like, spent a little more time in the basement, see how dilapidated and creepy it is. You know, just like, uh, you know, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. That's true. It's like a, yeah. That, well, <laughs> with, the, with the benefit of 30 years of filmmaking, you know, <laughs> technique and, and I'm not trying to tell you how to do your job, Mr. Hitchcock, but uh, yeah. I think I have some notes. <laughs> so, yes, we have a brilliant, we kind of have a brilliant climax to the story. Mm-hmm. A kind of perfect climax to the story. Um, Which is then undercut immediately. <laughs> yeah. Because then we go I said, to the... Yes, I said this was a perfect movie, but... Not not quite perfect. <laughs> no, there's one flying the ointment, and that is we get this final scene in the police station where we have a psychologist basically explain everything or the whole twist in case anybody missed it. Yeah, it's it's interminable. This little <laughs> monologue he has. Yeah, exactly. He explains because he's like, like also like KG two. <laughs> exactly. He's like, he's like no, he's not Norman. He's now, uh, he's now Mrs. Bates. And the character's like, what do you mean? <laughs> so, yeah, so it's, it's staged terribly, too. I mean, it's, it's like, a, like a, a boring room, even lighting. Exactly. And again, it, it probably goes back to, like, the TV show roots. It's like, we have to, like, wrap everything up nicely so the audience can go away with a satisfied feeling. Yeah. And also, this scene comes, for me points out why this is the perfect candidate for a remake. <laughs> um, because, again, it is, like, nearly a perfect movie, but you can just, like, kind of make those uh, to make those little cuts and touches, and suddenly, yes, it is perfect. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, for Gus Van Zandt and filmgoers <laughs> of 1998, they decided, yes, it is perfect, let's just do it shot for shot, and not, you know, <laughs> take away those brilliant choices, like, uh, like black and white, and instead replace it with big, loud colors. Mm-hmm. Adding, I think, um, in the remake, when Norman takes away the painting and stares at Marion in the shower, he starts masturbating. Yeah, that's the one thing they decided to add. That's the one touch it needed. Yes, exactly. yes that's the one touch it needed, but we're not going to take out this interminable monologue. <laughs> Although we so, do get that great kind of final... What they really should have ended it with was that monologue by Mrs. Bates. Oh, yeah, they bring, they bring it back in the final 30 seconds. Yeah, exactly, because it's the voice of Mrs. Bates you know, channeled through um, Norman. Norman. Norman's in a in the, um, not not quite a, not even a cell, interestingly enough. Again, another brilliant choice, but mm-hmm. like an interrogation room. Well, it's because it's kind of implying that there's still a chance that he might walk free. Well, yeah, and also, in spite of like him being a psycho, they don't treat him as such. Exactly. Which goes to, I mean, that speaks volumes. Yeah, in fact, about... <laughs> they go so far as to be generous to him. She, he, she, I guess this is Mrs. Bates now, mm-hmm. asks for a blanket and they give it to him. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, if there was ever a comment on the patriarchy, that would be it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant kind of little closing monologue, including the, the line, even the, the perfect little delivery of like, I'll, I'll, sh- I'll, I'll show them. Yeah. They'll see and they'll know. <laughs> <laughs> They're watching me right now. Yeah, I'm not even gonna swat at that fly. They'll say she wouldn't even hurt a fly. Yeah, and that again, t- talk about like little touches, like putting that extra effort in. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed this was your first viewing. No, I did notice that the skull. Yeah. There's a for a split second you see the mother's corpse face imposed on Norman Bates' face before it cuts mm-hmm. to the car being pulled out of the swamp, which again yeah. mirrors the car going into the swamp. Like the scene is done exactly the same. Great, yeah. oh, this is so good. <laughs> <laughs> Little Silence of the Lambs connection too, John. Mm-hmm. Very first shot of uh, Silence of the Lambs. You see the rope from that angle, and it's uh, Jodie Foster's character pulling herself up. 
Ah. Like she's her own Marion Crane, yeah. Ah. Starling, see? Bird connections. Oh, see? Now, now I don't know if I like Silence of the Lambs too much. I should have seen this first. <laughs> <laughs> see him back-to-back. We'll, we'll do a, a Halloween uh, <laughs> double bill. There you go. We'll rent out a theater. And <laughs> we'll, we'll be, close out. Sorry, not rent out a theater. Close out a theater. There you go. Just for you and me. <laughs> Excellent. I love it. <laughs> Nobody's invited. <laughs> it's sad. When a mother has to speak the words that condemn her own son. But I couldn't allow them to believe that I would commit murder. They'll put him away now, as I should have, years ago. He was always bad. And in the end, he intended to tell them I killed those girls and that man. As if I could do anything except just sit and stare, like one of his stuffed birds. They know I can't even move a finger. And I won't. I'll just sit here and be quiet, just in case they do suspect me. They're probably watching me. Well, let them. Let them see what kind of a person I am. I'm not even going to swat that fly. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see, and they'll know, and they'll say, Why, she wouldn't even harm a fly. But, John, I'm actually shocked and and very... Excuse me? Shocked? Yeah. Well, because that's not normally how these things go. I'm I'm a man of great taste. How dare you? This is true. But that's maybe maybe I'm just uh, jaded by the podcast, the format that we've chose to discuss <laughs> movies in. I think we tend to agree more than disagree, or I'd say it's about fifty-fifty. No, John, we're we're completely contrasting, and that's what makes this a really entertaining listen for for the fans. That's the dynamic. Yeah. Well, let's see if we can find more contrasts <laughs> in our signature segment, Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. For Spotlight this week, uh, I tried really hard to think of something horror-adjacent, but I couldn't. Mm-hmm. But once again, the perfect Spotlight fell in my lap, because the third mm-hmm. season of Shit's Creek has just been added to Netflix. <laughs> and it takes place in a motel, so connections. Thank you. I, okay, sorry, what, what was the title of that show again? It's called Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek, okay. Uh, spelled so, S- sorry, say that one more time. It's Shit's Creek. Okay, alright, just earning that explicit tag there. <laughs> Uh, excuse me, it's a last name, and it's spelt S-C-H-I-T-T, okay? Yeah, okay, yes, I'm, I'm aware. <laughs> this is a Canadian show uh, starring Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hare, and uh, if you are a big fan of those Christopher Guest movies like A Mighty Wind or Best in Show, there's no reason yeah. why you shouldn't love this. Even though Christopher Guest himself isn't involved, and it's not really a mockumentary format, it still kind of has that humor to it, that level of uh, satire to it. It's about yeah. it, the setup. I'm assuming simple. all the other Christopher Guest players are involved. Um, surprisingly, no. Uh, yeah, because again, it's a Canadian, it's a Canadian TV show, and it's pretty low budget. But again, okay. they make the I'm, most out of well, it. Well, I'm actually shocked by that. I I'd only known, I knew this was a show. I did not know the cast or anything else about it. So mm-hmm. I'm shocked that they could get kind of stars of Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara's caliber and drag them away from Hollywood and, and up to. <laughs> Up to Canada, well, but no, I think go. they're really the only stars of it. And the other thing too is, I think this is kind of Eugene Levy's kind of brainchild, because also okay. like a lot of his family isn't. Yeah, he's he's one of, he's listed as one of the creators, and also his son Dan Levy, who plays his son in the show as well. Okay. And then also his daughter um, also plays a character in the show. Okay, so is it a crime comedy? Is it a satire? Like what? 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 What's its What's its target, John? Um, what, it's what is a it satire. Uh, the 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 setup is very simple. Here is this obnoxiously wealthy family who lose everything overnight. Okay. With no place to go, going through their assets. <laughs> Based on a bet, the main character, played by Eugene Levy, Johnny Rose, uh, bought a town, apparently. A okay. podunk town in the middle of nowhere. And basically him and his family now relocate here, and they're living out of a motel. And they basically mm-hmm. have to adjust to living like the other 99%. Ugh. Exactly. The other ninety nine percent. Okay, fine. Yes, it's a hundred. It's hundred and eighty eight percent. Okay, fine. All right. Let's say bottom thirty percent. Um, let's say that. Yeah. 
Oh my god! Wait, it's one hundred ninety-eight percent. Greg, you're an idiot. <laughs> but yes, the the joke is squarely on the Rose family as they try yeah. to adjust and how out of touch they really are. Yeah, they're pompous, out of touch. I'm assuming. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. And again, as it, it's revealed, it kind of reveals how like kind of how they think they're better than everyone else, but really how simple they are. Like it's revealed mm-hmm. that neither of the kids graduated high school. They both kind of, like, absconded the money that was meant to be used for their private high school and basically just gallivanted wherever they wanted. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and again, it's, you know, it's a fun little contrast and, you know, class warfare and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. It's a very simple, fun, like, fun show. A breezy watch. Nice. Yeah. That's good. So is it... Uh... 20 minutes 30 minutes per episode is an hour-long drama or something <laughs> drama but no greg it's not an hour-long drama it's a, so 30... it's a sitcom okay so yeah it's, it's a, a 30 minute sitcom got it okay well you said it was on netflix so you know again i'm expecting the heaviest of heavy material no it's not because they're a ne- serious and they mean business it's a canadian show it's a it's not a netflix original okay oh, i was okay. just catching up with it because they just added a new season on netflix all right uh... i don't pirate good sir <laughs> I'll have you know, I get all my shows and movies through legal means. Okay, good to hear. Yes. Which brings me to the star of the show, Catherine O'Hare. She's <laughs> giving great perfect diction, because apparently she was a former star, an actress of stage and screen. Mm. So she's giving the breathiest performance, and it's just an utter delight. <laughs> nice. That's good to hear, John. Mm-hmm. I, again, I'm glad that her brilliance, she gets to share her comedic brilliance on <laughs> with us again. <laughs> Oh, she's great in everything. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really go not fair. Yeah, go see Best in Show <laughs> and for your consideration. Uh, don't see Mascot, so it's kind of it's losing its steam. Well, I mean, <laughs> Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara are, are in it, and they are involved, so yeah, you can exactly. kind of see where They were busy doing Shit's Creek, so... Yeah, exactly. You can see where Christopher Guest loses his way when he loses his star players. Yeah. Things really fall apart. <sighs> yep. Mm-hmm. And Fred Willard, because he's on probation for... <laughs> On probation for masturbation. High five. Ao. Boom. I wasn't gonna go there. You did, John. You picked up. You. <laughs> you cleaned up. I got on base. You knocked that out of the park. Baseball. Solid. <laughs> Solid RBI. What do you have for spotlight this week, Greg? Well, I was looking at uh, <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock's Ouvre. Ouvre, which means eggs. <laughs> mm, delicious. Yes, <laughs> delicious. And uh, I have another little delicious thriller for you, John. Okay. This is more in his tongue-in-cheek mode, and it's uh, the film Rope. Have you heard of this movie? Of course I've heard of Rope. Okay. If, Just making sure. If community I was actually has... hoping that you hadn't, and, you know, I, I would look like a genius, you know. <laughs> if Community has dedicated an episode to spoof it, I've heard of it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I thought I would look like a genius putting a spotlight on a on a little known classic, but uh, I guess I guess I was wrong. Well, this is one of his more experimental films. I would say yes, because uh, this movie was known for. It's based on a play, and it was known for trying to replicate a play by having it appear to be ta- one continuous take. Which it kind of fails at miserably. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. If you look at the challenges, I actually admire the the chutzpah of it. Mm-hmm. Because I looked at some like behind-the-scenes documentaries about the making of rope mm-hmm. and the size of the cameras at the time and the fact that you could even physically move them, <laughs> much less kind of like have these sequences where you transition into somebody's back and then pull out. And you know, I, I, I admire the challenge of it, and and so I actually appreciate the effort that it went to, even if the results aren't aren't there. <laughs> I, I give a I give an A plus to the intention. Yeah. So. Uh... For those who aren't familiar, the way he kind of hid his cuts was there would be this zoom in to basically something solid and black. So like someone's back or the back of a chest, and basically he would pull out again, and that's how he would hide a cut. Yeah, and I think there are six to eight of them. Because they couldn't even run film for longer than about, I don't know, 30 minutes or something like that. So, yeah, I, again, I admire the fact that Hitchcock, again, like Psycho, would go above and beyond. Mm-hmm. I so, mean, yeah, uh, I guess the effort is admirable. Yeah. And it also stars Jimmy Stewart, so you can't it say no Jimmy that. stars Jimmy Stewart as a, yeah, as a professor, I think, but also like a, like an Euclid Poirot, you know, an inquisitive, <laughs> uh, brilliant detective mind. This Can you please on... say that again? <laughs> That's just so delightful. <laughs> You're the greatest detective in the world. I, knew, I am the greatest detective in the world. <laughs> but this is actually based on the, on the very famous true crime case of Leopold and Loeb, mm-hmm. which is two um, 
well-educated Chicago students actually wanted to pull off the perfect murder. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it wasn't so perfect because they got caught. <laughs> Damn! <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yes. So um, they basically flout their intellect because they've committed the murder and then kind of hide it in plain sight at this dinner party. Mm. Truly so, hubris was exactly. their downfall. The hubris is their the hubris and and uh, and somebody's conscious. It becomes like a telltale heart because one of the one of the uh, the crime committed one of the murderers has a has a. <laughs> I think crime committers is the is the technical yeah. term. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been a long day. <laughs> All right, but again, I think it's yeah, it's another brilliant thriller. Uh, again, just demonstrates Hitchcock's skills not only with actors but also in kind of production design and the way the camera moves and the performances are also uh, not what you'd expect from a late '40s film. Okay, where they're they're not like histrionic. Oh, it's it's very natural and again like kind of subverting your expectations and like you've, the way he kind of manipulates you you to see one thing and then you know or with a little line of dialogue you know pulling you another. So it's just another masterclass from from this guy. Okay, Mr. Hitchcock. Yes. You can follow the aspiring snobs on Facebook or Twitter. <laughs> Do you think what? Yeah, what would Albert Hitchcock be like on Twitter today? I'm assuming it'd be like a. Oh, it'd Herzog be very dry. Like it'd be very dry. <laughs> yeah, very dry. Um, I think like, very dry. I think he he has a, he had an immature streak too. Mm-hmm. So it'd be like a Winston Churchill esque insults. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Uh, hello, masturbates. Come on. Yeah, masturbates. You know. Just speaking with you has been an utter bore. <laughs> and really, I mean, he's he's really not that kind of loquacious. So I think 140 characters would be perfect for him. Absolutely. <laughs> like, so I did want to talk about maybe the trailer to Psycho, the original six-minute trailer, where basically he walks you through the set, basically explaining like the events of what you're going to see. And yeah, well, as we said earlier, he forwent his regular salary. Uh, for this movie, and got all of it on the back end, and mm-hmm. was really dependent on the gross of the movie. So, he put he pulled out all the stops in the marketing for Psycho, mm-hmm. including the six minute trailer and the little th- and the little demanding that theaters not allow anybody in after the first like five minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. Which I kind of understand. Again, the twists are so shocking. Yeah, exactly. I kind of understand because it is a very twisty movie and does really play with your expectations. But like that six minute trailer, it's. Again, extremely tongue-in-cheek, very goofy, because it's like he's trying to set this mood and make you like kind of like interested in leaning in, but he's very cagey about it and kind of like, no, oh, let's move on. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's that like, was his, well, that was his persona at the time. Right yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think more audiences at this point would have known him for uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Okay. Instead of say, I don't know, North by Northwest, because uh, again, he was also hugely visible, mm-hmm. and I think that's another point in Psycho's favor. Did you notice his cameo? He made a cameo in every film. I was wondering if you caught him. No, I know it's always early. The only time I've ever... I've, no, I've, this time he intentionally made it early so that... Well, it again, was also very... Would... I did notice it very early in The Birds, but, like, I've only seen... Like, well, yeah, well, well, he's, you movies. can't miss him in The Birds. He's walking a little puppy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, whereas here, again, it's very subtle. He's just outside the shop window or as uh, Marion enters. The real estate office window as Marion enters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, and again because this is a serious, you know, a serious thriller. You know, I'm I'm not playing nice this time, folks. Nah, <laughs> he didn't want audiences to be distracted by like, oh, let's look for Alfred. Let's play a little game and look for Alfred in the movie. You know? <laughs> Maybe he's staying at the Bates Motel. Maybe he's one of the guests. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he's uh in an ad for weight loss. <laughs> Ouch. Which is no, that's that's what really happened in the movie Lifeboat. <laughs> Did you, okay. did you not remember? I guess I've never even heard of the movie Lifeboat. Okay, you got me on that one. I've heard of Rope, but I've never heard of Lifeboat. <laughs> okay. That's a thriller literally based on a lifeboat. Mm-hmm. And so it got people wondering, like, how the heck is uh, Alfred Hitchcock going to insert himself in here? Oh, okay. And it turns out it's through a little newspaper ad for weight loss. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So, he, he, John, he can make fun of himself. Okay. I was trying to wrap up. Look, we ended up talking about Alfred Hitchcock. I know, but you weren't trying to wrap up. You wanted to talk about a six-minute trailer. All right, fine. (laughs) Anyway, you can email us at aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. And again, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter. And once you're done listening, I mean, if it's not too much trouble, Mm. maybe give us a five-star review. Then subscribe. On Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on every podcast platform that we're on. SoundCloud. Google Play, 
Come on. Yep. What yep. else are you going to do? I know. The show's free. Yeah. So all we can, all we can ask of you is just a, a tiny bit of effort. We are breaking our backs for you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> two hours of work a week isn't quite backbreaking. Okay, fair. Not unless you count the actual movies we're watching. <laughs> there you go. Speaking of which, next week, as continuing our theme of horror movies for Halloween, we're going to be catching a creature feature. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a big old monster mash. <laughs> uh, well, not quite a monster mash. The original kaiju movie, John. Godzilla. Uh, yes, the original Godzilla. Yes. Or not, the, not, the 98, not, the, not the other uh, notorious remake from 1998. <laughs> and not the 2014 one, which is perfectly adequate. Eh. Just don't... Just forget your t- to take your Ambien before. <laughs> Ouch. Godzilla 2014. <laughs> Whereas, you know, if you ever thought... Uh, oh, the original Godzilla is great. What if we inserted an episode of Friends in the middle of it? <laughs> Bam, uh, that's the 98 Godzilla, baby. <laughs> yep. But anyway, we've taken up too much of your time. <laughs> so thank you all for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring. <laughs>